Welcome to Soul Matters. We're glad you're here. Mark and I are here as your co-hosts to help guide you on your path to joy. Collectively, we have approximately 50,000 hours of working intimately with people to improve their lives. And we hope today to help you improve yours during this difficult time. Our goal is to convey our own hard-earned tools and perspectives. We'll be exploring the yin and the yang of mindfulness and cognitive therapy, the right brain and left brain methodology, Eastern theory and Western science. So join us today on this journey of Soul Matters. So welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about soul in challenging times. We are obviously right now in a world in an unprecedented time in the world. We are dealing with a scary virus. We're dealing with upheaval, uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of not knowing what the future is going to hold. And we wanted to take what we're doing here, this, this idea of soul, this idea of how to live a soulful life and apply it to a very difficult time. And to really, hopefully, in our conversation today, um, help you navigate this time and help you find your way through this time to um, clarity, to maybe some joy and maybe some soul and um, maybe some sanity because there's a lot of insanity out there as we face what we're facing. And this is a very hard time and it's a hard time for all of us and we're all in it together. And again, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're taking the time to listen and to maybe seek out some wisdom and support during this difficult time. Um, I'm just, as I'm talking right now, I'm just picturing all of you listening right now and your various places of your homes where you're kind of doing your social distancing. Um, and I'm just reaching out to you, feeling my connection with all of you. And, um, and just um, hopefully we can remember our connection within our distancing. Um, so offering you that. Um, so maybe we could start, what is this experience like for you? What are you noticing? What's, um, what's present for you as you face what's happening? Well, it's been, I think it's been a really hard time, actually, Mark. I find myself being more anxious than is my norm. I generally am not a very anxious person, but during this time, I found myself being especially anxious, I think, about the more vulnerable people in our population and specifically my parents and trying to figure out how to support them. So I decided this last week to prioritize my health, my parents' health and the collective good because I believe that it's best for the world and our country, our state and our city if we follow the guidelines that have been set out for us in social distancing. And it was a difficult decision for me to move all of my clients to telehealth because I knew that it would be better for some of them clinically if we met in person, especially my couples. It's a bit difficult to do telehealth for couples. And yet each time I have a sniffle because of some allergies or even I swallow wrong and I start to cough, I can see this part of me that is scared, start to think that maybe I have the virus. In, in moments of hardship, I try to be with that hardship in such a way that it helps me connect with our deeper humanity like having compassion for people who suffer with anxiety all the time. That's not a, a new idea for me, but it's just what, one that I'm in deeper touch with today. 
And so in those moments uh, where I have been more anxious, I've really touched empathy for people who live with anxiety all the time. So what I hear um, that you're noticing a level of anxiety that you don't tend to live with until now, um, and you've made some pretty um, significant changes in your professional life uh, as a result of the anxiety, a result of the people that you care about and wanting to make good decisions, and then the worry that you carry just for your parents, for yourself, for your children. Um, and I hear the, the sense of um, that um, this kind of anxiety is also touching uh, compassion. Like there are people that live with this kind of anxiety all the time. And so this is giving you a window or a doorway into understanding what that might be like. And so there's a, there's a sense that your heart is softening in that way. And that's what I'm really interested in too. And we'll talk more about this, I think, but the, the range of what this gives us, you know, it's like, People are dying, people are sick, people are suffering, people are gonna lose their jobs or have lost their jobs. You know, there's so much out there. And then there are things that are blessings. You know, this, this sense of compassion, the sense that we're all in it together, um, the sense of slowing down. I've heard a number of my clients talking about the appreciating slowing down. My clients, are many of them are loving the slowing down. I'd also like to just respond to what you said about we're all in this together because I have been struck by that as well. But this idea that we're all in it together, that moves me and I, I have to admit I'm having a hope that as we are as a world aware of our fragile humanity and each other's, like this is touching people regardless of the culture, the place they live, how much money they have, class, power, status, People all across the board are, are being touched by this. And I'm hoping that it's going to reduce the polarization that we've had in the world so that we can see each other more. Even if we think differently about how the world or politics should be, that we're as a world going to be able to hold each other with more compassion and love because we're all in it together. That's one of the sole questions I think that I'm, I'm sitting with. Um, you know, I, I, before I get into that, I would just say that I am, um, I too am feeling anxiety, a different kind. I'm just this free floating anxiety. Like my body just feels more activated. Um, it takes more energy for me to pay attention to my clients and noticing itself. There's this gravitational tug that's energetic. It's not about a tug toward a thought or, or, or a specific fear but just this distraction of um, I, my, it's, it's like my mind is, is less stable, less steady. And it's unpleasant, like being in my skin sometimes is unpleasant. I think I'm picking up by osmosis, the anxiety in the world and everything like that. But I do have this sense of the soul question, like when we as a world and me as an individual touches that fragility, I think there are easily two responses and I'm seeing two responses in the world. There's the fear response, which separates us. You know, oh my God, I'm, I'm in survival mode and I'm alone and I'm cut off. And then there's love. You know, we're all in it together. We're all connected. How do we help each other? And I'm seeing both those responses in the world. And even in my personal relationships this week, I've seen both. I've seen really tender moments with my wife where I'm like, just like, we're in it together. And 
we can hold each other and hold our kids and our family and our friends and our community. And then moments where we're just arguing, you know, just these, we don't have as much space with each other, arguing about stupid things, just like, you know, again, that fear and separation. And so part of the, what I think we're talking about today and I want to talk more about is how do we make it more likely that we would move into love and not into fear? I think that's the question for me. It's like, what, what are the conditions that make it more likely that I will respond more with love and less with fear? I think that would be helpful for a lot of people to have a sense of how to be with what's happening in the world and in their own life in such a way that it will facilitate love and even um, moments of joy if they can have that. Well, my thought about that is uh, helping people have compassion for themselves. So I, I, cause I, what I notice is people sometimes have this anxiety or fear, which is totally understandable. And then they have judgments about themselves because of that fear and that anxiety. And so I really like this idea that we can learn to cultivate us a compassionate response to ourselves. And, you know, I really like um, Kristen Neff, who teaches at the University of Texas in Austin and does wrote a book on self-compassion and she does research on this. And she talks about these three components of self-compassion. And I think this is like, um, I like this because it's just so clear. Like people, some people, a lot of people talk about well, self-compassion, like, you know, that's important and compassion is important, but she just breaks it down into these three simple components that just seem to like make it easier for me to get my mind around. What does it mean? And maybe at some point in this episode, I can leave our listeners on a guided meditation of self-compassion. But she talks about three things. She talks about, the first component being mindfulness, which is in this case being aware of our suffering. You know, so just sometimes we suffer and we're not, we just feel bad, but we don't, we're not really aware that we're suffering. So the first day of step is to recognize, oh my God, I'm so anxious and this is suffering and I don't like this and this is uncomfortable and I'm really scared. I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for our future. And just to name that, to know it, oh, I'm really suffering. That consciousness of what's going on with yourself, being awake to what's going on with yourself is that mindfulness. Exactly. The mindfulness of the suffering. And then the second component is bringing a friendliness toward it. Just like, of course, of course you're scared. Everyone's scared right now, or most people are scared, and it's okay. If our child came and said, I'm scared, I'm scared. People usually are able to be with their children in a way that is comforting and loving, but often have a difficult time bringing that to themselves. And that's essentially what you're saying. Yeah, that's totally right. Like I can say to my clients, like if your child woke, woke up from a nightmare, how would you be with that child? And I imagine they would hold them. They would, they would soothe them. They would rock them. They would, and I'm saying, okay, so we're having a, a worldwide nightmare here. Can you be with yourself in that way? Can you say, of course, and it's okay. And can you just like make space for the fear rather than constrict around it, soften around it? So that's the second component. I heard a, a meditation teacher this week talk about, you know, like he would be afraid in the middle of the night. He's like, oh my God, last night I gave a talk on fear and, gave, you know, and here I am. I'm totally afraid. I'm such a fraud, you know? Um, so we, we tend to like be hard on ourselves. So this idea of radical friendliness, that it's okay to be who we are, that's the second component, that, that sense of friendliness. And the third component, which we've talked about a little bit and touched on, is recognizing the common humanity. 
that what you are, what we're both feeling right now, most of the world people are feeling. The idea that we're almost like instead of our fear separating us and the anxiety separating us, the, the fear and anxiety can actually connect us. I feel very passionately about that part about knowing we're all in it together and the collective humanity and having love and compassion for everybody such that our distance evaporates really. I feel very passionately about that because our country has been in such a time of polarization and I am very hopeful in the world. And so I'm very hopeful that there's this spiritual underpinning of we're all in it together that can bring us at least more love. Even again, I know I'm repeating from something I said earlier, but just even as we continue to think about the world differently, to think about politics differently, to think about God differently, that we can still see our common humanity and have love and tenderness for each other. And that is one of my deepest hopes that will come out of this difficult time. I love that in a way, because like, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you voted for Trump or didn't vote for Trump, whether you're rich or poor, as you said earlier, this virus doesn't care, you know, and we're all equally threatened and we're equally human before the threat. You know, the virus doesn't see the differences that we right. see. The other piece I'll, I'll will say is like why I think the this is so important, this self-compassion piece is that when fear enters us, we go into fight, flight or freeze, right? Which is a constricted mind state which the cerebral cortex goes offline, our executive function goes offline, the amygdala, which is the alarm system in the, in the emotional part of the brain, goes off. And so we are not available for connection, for love. They're the parts of our brain that are, part, that are open to connection and love and compassion shut down. And I do believe that this practice of self-compassion brings us back to a regulated state. It helps calm our amygdala and it helps make space for love, for connection, for joy, for soul, for all the things that make life worth living. These practices we're talking about, this particular practice, helps us, our bodies and our brains, come back into regulation. A lot of times people's bodies go into this fear state when they're imagining terrible things in the future. And so I do have a leaning towards cognitive therapy, you know that, and mindfulness. And I think that if we can be aware, be mindful of what we're doing in our brain, then it can allow us to be more present. And so, so often people are allowing themselves to create very frightening stories for themselves about the future. In fact, that is probably when I feel most of my anxiety is when I let myself go into the story that something's going to happen to somebody that I love or myself. What's true is that's not happening right now. And so if we can be aware of what we're doing with in our thought life and return to the present moment, then I think it will be also easier for us to regulate with what's happening. Because right now, we're most of us right now are in fact okay. And if yeah. we stay out of the future, this terrible, scary future that um, activates the amygdala and goes into fight or flight because of the story we're telling ourselves, 
if instead we can just be present and be mindfully present in what's happening only in this moment and be aware of the sunshine is out here in Seattle. It is so incredibly glorious in terms of the weather. It's stunning. And if we can be with that and be with what's actually happening in our body with the practice that you mentioned um, or what's happening with the child in front of us, what they're saying to us with the client in front of us to just be present with them and not let our mind wander off into the future. I do believe it's easier for us to regulate and to keep ourselves from creating. That's something I feel really committed to people knowing that we can keep ourselves from creating more trauma if we can. And it's, it's difficult. I don't mean to say it. Well, that's what I wanted to say. I wanted to ask you because I totally um, get that. Like, I love the idea that there's the what's in the moment, which is scary enough. And then why would we want to add a burden, a story about the future that may or may not be true? So why not stay in the moment and not add all this stuff, right? So we know that intellectually, right? So I'm really curious how you do that. The first step is to realize we're going into the future at all. For us to just even be awake and mindful that, oh, I'm not in the present, I've, I've left the present, I'm thinking about the story of the future, which may or may not be true. Well, it's not true, because the future hasn't happened. Right, it's not, it is, it's it's not, not happened, may or may, right. It is not true, because the future has not happened. And so for us to begin to realize, oh my goodness, I'm actually imagining myself being sick and not being able to breathe. And I'm imagining what that's going to be like. And then as a result of that, of course, our body is constricted. We're having like yeah, tightness in our chest or having more fear. And so I think the first step is to realize we're doing it. And the second step is to come back to the present. And so we come back to the present by being aware of what is in fact happening right now. Like I sometimes when I find myself having these moments of anxiety of not being able to breathe, I take a big breath and I'm like, <sighs> my lungs are actually clear right now. You're actually healthy right I'm now. healthy right now. In this moment, I can take a big breath and there's nothing impeding me breathing. So I return to the present and I breathe and I think, oh, I'm, I don't actually have a constriction in my lungs at this moment. And so I'm returning to the present with what's happening. Or I'm returning to the present with being able to make lunch for my family and have my college age kids home again. It's like going back in time. It's also being present to the joy and the gratitude in the moment I'm hearing. And obviously not every moment, every moment has that, but I'm hearing that when you come into the moment and you're not worried about the future, you can be open to what's good in this moment. I can, I can experience it. You can let it in. Yes, I can let it in. I can right. actually experience. This is a sweet moment. You can be nourished by that moment. Absolutely. And I often think, you know, in Buddhism, there's a saying of allowing death to be our advisor. And I think that, um, I often think of this, but this is a time where it's especially so, where death is our advisor. And for me, what that means is, what am I gonna wanna remember that I did in this moment? And that guides me. I'm gonna wanna remember that I enjoyed having dinner with my family as we all be here at home together. I'm going to want to remember that I appreciated the beauty of the sunshine that's being out or the, the flowers are coming out. And so it's these simple things. I don't mean to minimize the trauma of what's happening, but I do think there are moments of sweetness that it's important we see and experience. Otherwise, we've missed it. Right. And the and ideas, if you're thinking of three months down the line, and oh my God, is school not going to open again? And oh my God, what's going to happen to my practice and my finances? If you're thinking of that in the moment, 
then you're missing the fact that you're having dinner with your exactly. kids. You're missing the fact that you're having a really cool connection with your husband. You're missing the fact that the sun is out in Seattle right now and it feels really good on your face. And, and it's like, it's like, why would we want to miss that? Especially now when there is a sense that this is fragile, this could be taken away. So I really hear that. And I, and I think it's both like, yeah, that's where, I mean, we've talked about in, in past episodes, how soul lives in the moment. And I think maybe that's even more apparent right now. And we lose that if we're away. Let's live in the moment. Let's come back to the moment. Um, and that's a way of working. You know, we've talked about, we want to find ways of navigating this time. That is a way of navigating. This I time. think it's a profound way of navigating this time. And, and essentially what, I'm saying, I believe, but I don't believe it's easy, is, is that we can actually facilitate, each of us can facilitate having soulful moments that might be joyful, they might be tender, they might be sad, but that we actually have the power to facilitate ourselves having that. And it reminds me a little bit of the practice that so many of us are having right now, trying not to touch our face. And it's hard because humans touch their faces all the time, but we are stopping ourselves. So many people right now are stopping themselves, even mid scratch. They're like, oh, I'm touching my face. And I think being present is a practice like that. We'll leave our present moment and then we have to think like, oh, I'm in the future again. That's not happening. I'm making it up and return to the present moment. And it's a similar process. We try to not touch our face and we try not to go into the future, but we touch our faces all the time. So I think it's a similar way of being accountable to ourselves for what we're committed to. Right. And it's almost like when you feel the tug of the future, just like you feel the tug of a scratch on your face and you intentionally say, I'm not going to scratch it. I'm not going to scratch that itch. And what happens? And the other thing I want to say is that although it's hard, just like anything, as you practice this, as you practice coming back to the moment, as you practice trying to stay in the moment as much as you can, you get better at it. It's like a, it's a muscle, it's a muscle, you know, and this time may even, you know, it's like, I'm always thinking about the mind as a knife that we're sharpening. And right now the, the, the stone we're sharpening our minds against is, is a pretty intense stone. <laughs> like saying, okay, I see, I see the pole, I see the pole and I'm going to come back to this moment. I'm going to come back to the sunlight on my face. I'm going to come back to the green of the leaves outside the window, yes. you know, I'm going to come back to like the laughter of my kids upstairs right now. That is always going to be a sweet sound. And can I let that sound in? And, and I can feel it in my chest and in my belly. It reminds me of, <laughs> I don't know if you know the Zen story. It's a beautiful story of this guy. He, he's out in the woods and he's like, he's like um, being chased. He, he runs into a tiger and and the tiger starts to roar at him and he, he chases him and he gets to a cliff and he, and he, he has to, and the tiger's coming. So he jumps off the cliff and he, he grabs onto a branch and the tiger's up there pacing and then he looks down and there's a tiger below him. No, I don't know. the story. And it's a tiger above him, a tiger below him. And he's like, Oh my God. And then he looks over and sees this big juicy strawberry. that's right there, right in his reach. And he reaches out and grabs that strawberry and he takes it and looks at it and he puts it into his mouth and he thinks, this is delicious. 
I love it. I love that. In a way, that is both yes. the, um, the human predicament. Yes. You know, there's death all over around us. There's suffering all around us. And it's the predicament of this time. And it's such a beautiful metaphorical way of saying being in the present, to taste the strawberry, to feel the sunshine, to hear the laughter, to be present in, in what's happening for you is going to help people regulate the fear that they're having right now. And if they don't yes. create these stories in the future and they be friendly to themselves and to each other, the world is going to be a better place. And in the moment when he is eating that strawberry, the tigers disappear. Because that's so often <laughs> the case. Right, right. I love that. And I just think... You know, the moment when you're having dinner with your children and you are just there, the, the virus disappears. It does, doesn't it? You know, yeah. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come back and it doesn't mean it's not there. And it doesn't mean you're deluding yourself that, you know, yeah, there's real stuff happening in the world that's scary. And in that moment, there's just love. also thinking about one more technique uh, and that is meditation where we calm our nervous system by on you know really taking a moment to meditate or to pray to walk outside and being meditative in that way and I want to make sure we just take a moment and help people understand that tool that's available to them too yes I mean and and the way meditation is like for me it's like um it's going to the gym to learn how to be present. You're working the muscle of coming back into the presence or you're working the muscle of self-compassion, holding yourself with compassion. Um, as we, we begin to come toward the latter part of our conversation here, you know, if it makes sense and we have time, I, I wanna lead us in a meditation toward the end of this. I like that idea. Is there anything else that feels, I mean, obviously this is a topic that we could talk about for many, many episodes. And is, is there anything else you feel would be important to say? You've already alluded to it, but the thing that's coming up for me is the importance of staying connected in a time like this with the technology that we have. I mean, it really is quite astounding that we can stay as connected as we can with the internet. And I loved what you said about your wife having cocktails virtually. And I set up a call a couple of nights ago where I was on Zoom with my parents and my sister and my sister-in-law and we were all talking and we watched an episode of a documentary on Netflix and we chatted about that and checked oh, in about our lives cool. and we're going to do that every Wednesday at 5 p.m. because it's a way to keep us connected and so people feel less isolated and more in touch and I think that's a really important piece for people to make space for as they're kind of powering down their life and making their footprint so small that there's likely to be isolation and loneliness and so staying connected because we can do that more easily now than we've ever been able to do before and so I just want to encourage people to make sure that they are staying connected. If you're single and you don't have a partner in your life, it would be easy to be isolated or whatever the case may be. It's, I think it's an especially difficult thing to handle with our kids. How can we keep them connected um, while also keeping them in the house? I find it a bit ironic that people used to say this generation, they're on their phones, they're never gonna know how to have a relationship and now they won't stop being together. <laughs> 
And so it's right. and it's also interesting that 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 technology may be the thing that keeps us connected. The very technology that we've been complaining about. One of the things, I'm, and it's one of the things to be grateful for, is if if this happened twenty years ago, we'd be much more cut off from each other. You know, so it's like the great gratitude of this is our technology that that you can meet your clients, that I my wife can have cocktails, that you can watch a documentary with your family, and we can do that. And we can stay connected to each other in such a beautiful way. Yeah. So I think that the side effect or the benefits of everything we're talking about is it puts us back in touch with our resources and our creativity and, and the best part of our humanity. This is definitely the, the worst part of our humanity can come out to, you know, our better, our better devils and our better angels, right? But I think our better angels, if we calm down, we can get in touch with, and then we come up with these amazing creative solutions that I, I'm just thinking, wow, what are we going to create in this time? How, what other ways are we going to create and how we, you know, what are restaurants going to do to, to, to creatively respond to the situation? What are people going to do to creatively respond to the need to connect? And, um, and new forms of being human, I think, will be created. So that excites me. And I like that you're pointing to that. I think it's important. It's important to make sure that we're staying connected, especially to people who might be suffering even more socially. And that is that yeah. kind of taking care of the collective good and reaching out to people who might be suffering. And we can easily do that with technology. And it is such a, a benevolent, divine way for us to take care of each other at a time like this. And, you know, to send good energy and prayer to each other at a time like this, I think can also connect us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like we can do this, we can reach out, we can connect with our listeners, and I can connect with you. You know, Juliana and I, the first two episodes, we sat in the same room, and now we're doing this by Zoom. And you guys are in the room with us, in a virtual room with us, and we can connect with you, all of you out there. And how beautiful is that? Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so hopefully, we really hope that this, whatever we talked about today, and these ideas help you stay connected to your deeper humanity, your resources, your creativity, and each other, and helps you um, find ways of lovingly responding to the challenges of our time rather than getting, I mean, we're going to have fear, but getting caught in fear. Right? That's, I think, our hope um, as, we, as we have this conversation. And, and getting in front of the fear even by not creating fear by going to a scary future but being present yeah. in the moment and what's happening now, I think is, is a profound yeah. skill that I really hope people will look at is, is that we have so much power to help ground ourselves by being present in only what's happening now. And we can prepare for the scary future and then come back to the present moment. So here's what I would like to do. I would like to give people who are listening, some people I'm assuming who are listening maybe have meditation practices or have a really, are steeped a little bit in mindfulness and know, know that. And some people maybe never have done that. But I'd love to give you a taste of it. So if it's okay with you, if you're ready to move, I can just do a short meditation, which I think will combine mindfulness, this idea of trying to be in the moment with a little bit of just how to hold 
whatever it is inside of you that needs to be held like a child with a nightmare. So what I want to ask everyone out there to do is to just find a comfortable seat. You could be sitting on the floor or you could be sitting in a chair, maybe having your feet flat on the ground and having a, a straight back. So you're supporting yourself. You're, you're relaxed, but you're also um, not collapsed, I guess I would say. And then I just want you to begin to allow your awareness to settle into your body. Just to feel your awareness coming into your body, maybe inviting your body to relax the tight places inside of it. And at first, just focusing your awareness on your breath, on the rise and the fall of the breath in the abdomen, so that as you breathe, you know you're breathing. It's so interesting to me that we take so many breaths and we don't know we're breathing. So can you know the experience of breathing? Can you, can you connect with what it's like to breathe? Maybe you can feel the nourishment of the breath that 100 trillion cells are being sustained by the breath. And you feel that sustenance as it comes in and out. And of course, your mind is going to try to pull you away. And maybe even more so in this time we're living in. There's going to be a tug. There's going to be thoughts that come in. There's going to be feelings that come in. You're going to be on your breath and then suddenly notice that you've left your breath and you're somewhere else. And in that moment, it's not that it's wrong. That's just the mind doing its mind thing. But once you notice that's happened, without judgment, without any drama, just let go and come back to the breath. And every time you do that, you're strengthening your ability to come back to the moment. So just come back to the breath. Rest there again. And come back as many times as needed. Again, it's not wrong to wander off. The whole process of meditation is coming to the breath, leaving the breath, because that's what the mind does, and coming back over and over and over. So just coming to the breath, resting on the breath. Again, that easy flow, the rise and fall of the breath in the abdomen. Your awareness there. And then I just want you to notice what you're feeling right now. Many of you may be feeling anxiety because that's definitely in our collective consciousness right now. And other people might be feeling other things. But whatever you're feeling, I want you to begin to focus on it. Begin to just rest your mind like you are resting on the breath, resting it on whatever it is you're feeling. So let's say you're feeling anxiety as an example. Just see if you can find that anxiety in your body. Like where, where, where do you, how do you know you're anxious right now? Where do you feel it? Maybe it's in your belly. There's a real tightness in your belly or maybe it's in your chest and you can feel that tight panic in your chest, tension. But just see if you can be with it, breathe into the center of it. And see if you can soften around it. So instead of saying, I want this to go away, I'm, I'm resisting this, I, I'm, I hate this, you're just saying, this is the way it is. 
You're saying yes to it, not because you like it, but because it's what is, because it's the truth and you're saying yes to the truth. So you're just saying yes. And can you meet it again like a, you would meet a child who's waking up from a nightmare? Maybe saying to the anxiety or the fear or whatever else you're feeling, of course, sweetheart, you, you feel anxious. There's anxiety present. It's okay. I'm right here with you. So just softening, opening, breathing. And again, if your mind wanders, just bring yourself back. And if it's too much, you know, some, for some people, you know, the anxiety would be too much. And just come back to the breath. Just ground your mind again. But the point here or the, the attempt here, the aspiration here is to keep your mind steady and open and loving. You know, going back to Kristen Neff's ideas of, you know, being mindful that you're suffering, meeting that suffering with some friendliness and see your suffering. I'm right here with you. It's okay. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. And then of course, recognizing that there's so many people in the world right now that are feeling the exact same way as you. And just feel that connection, that compassion, that sense that the family of humanity, the circle of humanity are all in this together. Just breathe that in, hold that suffering, that anxiety, wherever you're feeling it, softening around it. And just being here, being alive to what is. And just for a moment, just resting there and receiving whatever the feelings are and noticing how they might change or stay the same. And, but just allowing them to be exactly as they are, allowing yourself to be exactly as you are without fighting what is. This is how it is for you right now. This is how it is for the world. So allowing it to be. And then very gently, you can bring your awareness and consciousness first to your breath, bring it back to your breath. Just feel again, the easy flow of breath. Maybe even being feeling grateful for the breath, as Juliana was talking about earlier. And then coming back to the room you're in, just becoming aware of the room around you and the silence around you and the sounds that fill that silence. Becoming aware of your body on your seat that you're sitting on and your body taking up space in the room you're in. And just for a moment, just notice the, the effect of spending five, seven, 10 minutes paying attention to yourself in this way. And then opening your eyes when you're ready.
Thank you for that. That was a beautiful meditation. You're welcome. You lead us through meditation with such tenderness and clarity. And you have a poem for us as we close today, Mark, as we end this episode of Soul Matters. And this is a poem called Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in her white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. Beautiful poem, it's so incredibly deep and I think so fitting for us during this time. So just as we bring this episode of Soul Matters to a close, I just want to thank you for joining us. I want to send compassion and love your way. And I just want to encourage you to stay grounded and kind to yourself. Yes, thank you for being here with us. And Juliana, thank you for doing this with me. Particularly feels important and poignant at this time in our lives. I'm very grateful. Thank you.